0: walking with jesus serving with love and sharing with courage welcome to the pecan podcast Hello, friends. It is Pastor Courtney back here on the PCOM podcast. So good to be with you today as we continue on in our series on the Christian imagination. What does it mean to cultivate a healthy and robust imagination, to wade into the waters of mystery, to spend the time that we can looking at art and literature and God's creation? And helping our souls come alive. Um, many of you know I have a—I have a new book that just came out. It came out the beginning of August, um, and uh, it's a book about the invitations of playfulness, the way God invites us into. A more playful life, not as a luxury, but as one of the ways we are created for joy and connection. I'm so very grateful for both Pastor Jackson and his wife, Malika, who many of you might not know. She's a registered play therapist. Um, so play is her jam, and she gave me a lot of her time and was just really gracious in, in helping me understand uh, play therapy and how play really helps adults learn and grow as well. So for today, as we talk about the Christian imagination, I wanted to read an excerpt from the book called Take Off Your Shoes. It's the one of the chapters that talks about Christianity and play, worship and play. And I would love to hear about your experiences about church and play, because I think It's something that the church has struggled with, not just our church, PCOM, but the church in America, and I think the church throughout the world as well. We work on doctrine and theology and mission, and all of these things are so important, the worship of Almighty God. And we also are invited into play. One of the most beautiful things we've seen during these summer fellowship Sundays where we have burritos on the patio between services or tacos after or people pack a picnic and stay and play is we're seeing this joy and these connections. My little two-year-old, during the burrito lunch a few weeks ago just walked right over to John Gable and plopped right down on a chair next to him and John Gable is one of our senior saints and he he walks with a walker and he was sitting there and she was so delighted to sit next to him and he was so delighted to sit next to her and she handed him one of her donuts and that's love <laughs> 2 year old sharing a donut but we've been amazed how a little bit of food and some spike ball or gaga ball or cornhole or games set out outside really have sparked this joy in our community that was that was latent over the COVID years. It's just not as it's not as fun and it's not as easy to connect over a screen. So this is an excerpt from Happy Now, my new book out with Rose Publishing. And if you want to have a little more fun on the 12th of September. Between and after services, we're going to have a little paper airplane-making station. The book has a paper airplane on the cover. um, And a little book fundraiser to raise money where all the proceeds... uh, I don't get a cut from these sales. The proceeds go to... um, they go to the church's fellowship and fun fund. So they will help pay for more donuts and more burritos and more joy and connection on the patio. If you want to buy a book or two on September 12th, i will be out there uh, with a big stack of signed copies, but more importantly, a big stack of paper so we can make some paper airplanes. So this chapter is called take off your shoes. And it opens with a quote by Tish Harrison Warren from her book, the liturgy of the ordinary, which I will link to in the show notes. It's a profoundly beautiful book. Throughout Christian history, Christian worship has been a profoundly sensuous experience, a training ground for pleasure and delight. Years ago, Daryl and I attended an Easter Eve service at an Anglican church outside Chicago. We'd been invited by a friend who couldn't stop gushing about how moving and beautiful the service would be of the ways God might meet us there. Oh, and also, he said, almost as an afterthought, it's five hours long, so bring snacks. Five hours, I said to Darrell after the friend went home. Is he off his rocker? Yet we were young, and it was lent in the frozen prairies of the Midwest, where there is not much to do but eat ice cream and read novels and wait for the spring thaw to come. So we went, sitting in the flip-down seats of a high school auditorium, with other worshipers who'd come in from the cold to welcome the risen Christ. The first hours of the service were measured and somber. The drama team reenacted the story of creation, the beauty of God's good world, and then the devastation of humanity's fall. A tenor sang the story of God's plan of salvation from Isaiah. We knelt to confess our sins. We stood and raised our voices together in hymns. The lights were dimmed. Though the service wasn't dragging, as the hours turned over and over, I was aware of my backside growing numb and my attention span beginning to flag. Then came the retelling of the death of Christ. People wailed. The dim sanctuary went completely dark. Lent in the freezing cold of Illinois is somber enough. The last thing I really wanted to do was feel bad for my sins when I'd been feeling crummy enough after barely seeing the sun for three months. I get it, Jesus. I prayed. We are bad. It is dark. It's our fault. We're sorry. It wasn't that I wasn't penitent. I'd been thinking a lot about not only my own sins, which were many, but the corporate and systemic sins it was nearly impossible not to participate in as a Western Christian. Who knew who'd sewn the shirt I was wearing and whether they'd been paid a decent wage? How could I fill my car with gas without participating in some of the world's deadliest conflicts over oil? Which people groups had been displaced centuries ago so I could live in the rich farmlands of the Midwest. But I was tired, too. Tired of my sin, tired of myself, tired of the endless cycle of repentance and forgiveness and trying hard and failing again. Lent is long— Just then, the senior priest ran on stage from the wings of the chancel holding a large bell, his curly hair a muss. He paused at the center of the stage for a split second and then yelled out, his eyes wildly ablaze Jesus is risen! The congregation erupted. Shouts of joy reverberated from every row. Noisemakers appeared from purses and backpacks, and people began to play tambourines and flutes and maracas. The woman a couple rows in front of us began began clanging, I kid you not, a cowbell. What is happening? I hissed to Daryl, my quiet Protestant church self braced for a riot. It's the holy noise, he announced, pointing to a note in the bulletin. Sure enough. After reading passages about the death of Christ and silent prayer came, of all things, the holy noise. The worship band struck up a lilting rendition of the David Ruiz song, We Will Dance, and the entire auditorium swelled in song. I felt a tug at my sleeve. A preteen beckoned me. Dance with us? She asked. When I hesitated, Daryl was out into the aisle in a flash, joining a jubilant conga line of children and college students and teenagers that wove its way up and down the aisles. On his second pass by our row, I joined him. As the people of God belted out choruses and hymns, for the first time in my life, I danced in church— Running up and down the aisles with the youth group, sweat springing up on our foreheads as the lay leaders carried hyacinths and fragrant lilies out from the wings to fill the altar and the stairs with color and scent and life. I lost Daryl somewhere in the flow of dancers, his hand pulled from mine, but it didn't matter. The dance was there for all of us, for each of us. We were one in the joy of the resurrection the celebration of new life, the pulse-pounding reel. Step by step, I began to forget myself, gripping the hand of the boy in front of me and the girl in back in a cavalcade of joy. Blood pumped in my ears. The band played on. Collapsing back into our seats a few songs later, glistening and disheveled, neither Daryl nor I could wipe the smiles from our faces. Was that okay? I asked him, a little afraid someone had caught me on video and even more afraid that we may have accidentally joined a cult. Surely this much happiness couldn't be appropriate for worship, could it? Celebrating the resurrection of Jesus by dancing, he responded, yeah, pretty sure that's not only okay, it's necessary. He had a point. If the story of God is true, really true, If there truly is hope beyond our wildest dreams, a savior whose love is more powerful than death, grace to forgive our worst sins, and healing to transform our most broken places, then how can we keep from dancing? Worship is an inherently playful act. My friends, do you agree? Is worship a playful act? Is there room for imagination in the Christian life? Have you ever experienced such joy in worship? The pandemic has upended so much of how we do church. And as we stitch the pieces back together again, I've been really interested to see what the experience is like, what pieces we choose to keep, what pieces we choose to discard. I will tell you, none of us have enjoyed preaching to our iPhones and having to watch our sermons back. A sermon is intended to be delivered live, and when you have to watch it and edit it and fix it, oh my goodness, it is painful beyond. And so we're so glad to be back in person, but it is giving us the opportunity to imagine worship in some new ways. One of the things that's been most interesting to me in this reforming of worship and in-person church has been that what I've heard most often from folks in the congregation about our season of digital worship is that they miss my five-year-old Wilson doing the announcements. And I think that says so much about our love of whimsy and playfulness and the importance of a laugh or two as the people of God. And not that everything needs to be a comedy stand-up, but I heard from so many folks that that's what they would wait for. And if they were in the kitchen getting something or they'd stopped paying attention, it was like, oh no, the announcements. And I will tell you, we are no longer doing those announcements because they took f- roughly five to 10 hours to put together every week. Five to 10 hours to film, to edit, to splice, to add music, to add effects. It takes a really long time and I'm not a video editor. But we did it because we knew it was offering a spark of joy. We got more feedback on the announcements than almost anything else the entire pandemic year. And I think there's a lesson in that, that when we are able to laugh or relax or see something creative and interesting and whimsical and engaging, we learn and we grow and we connect. And that joy itself is instructive. How is worship giving us the chance to use our imaginations? And what ways can we do that better? That's my question for you as a pastor, to you listening, whether you're a congregant who's been joining us for years and years, or you're brand new, or you're someone listening from afar and you don't attend our church at all. How can we? Invite more imagination, more imaginative elements, more participation, more joy into our services of worship. Because here's the thing, our God is a creative God, a God of joy, of whimsy, of connection. But so often we get into these rote practices where we are just doing the next thing, checking the next box. Worship is over for one more week. Let's go back to our lives Annie Dillard, in her book, Pilgrim at Tinker Creek, writes about how revolutionary worship really is, and that many women wear hats to church, but really we should be wearing crash helmets. If we believe what we are saying, this should be the most exciting, dangerous thing that we ever do. I'm bringing these questions to you today, friends, not as someone who has figured it out, but as someone who has had her eyes opened a little bit wider to this problem and wants to be part of the solution to reconnecting with God in these deeper, more imaginative ways so the youngest among us and the oldest among us alike can continue to dream the dreams of God, to love our neighbors creatively to work for the reconciliation of the world. I heard someone recently describe the acts of reconciliation and kindness as some of the most creative acts of all, that when there is hard, deep work to do, buckling down with seriousness and trying to hammer things out is often the opposite of what we really truly need and what would really truly be effective Jesus is a master of playfulness. He always hits the problem sideways. They'll say, where should we worship? Here or in Jerusalem. Do we give our taxes to you or, or to Caesar? Are we supposed to pay taxes at all? And, and Jesus, rather than answering directly, he'll pick up a coin and say, well, whose, whose picture is on it? Well, that's Caesar. Well, then give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. He's the master of this sort of creative, playful, whimsical way to get at things. Arguing with friends on Facebook gets us all nowhere except farther down the rabbit hole of frustration. But when we can love someone in a way that is creative and continual, that changes hearts. That changes lives. It's changed mine. So my friends, question for the week. Question for the week. How can we be more imaginative in our worship? Mark Laberton has a wonderful book. I'll link to it in the show notes called The Dangerous Act of Worship. And he writes, when we're going to the communion table, why do we not smell fresh baked bread wafting through the sanctuary? Why are we not using more of our senses to connect with God? And I love these questions as a, as a pastor and as a person of faith myself, I think back to that Easter vigil service all the time. And it's not all about emotion. It's not all about making sure our feelings acquiesce to what we've decided we're going to do. I don't love going to the dentist, but I'll go because it's important. But how can we nurture our imaginations So that they come alive when we come into a worship space. So they come alive when we go to love our neighbors. So they are nurtured in the beauty and goodness of God and ready to receive from God at every turn. I would love to hear from you. Drop me a note, Courtney.Ellis at MyPCom.com and let me know. God has met you in worship, how your imagination has come alive. Maybe you visited a church or traveled abroad or had an experience in college, or you have an idea for how our worship could be more imaginative, more participatory, more joyful, more connected to the deep things of God and the deep things in our own souls. Drop me a line. I look forward to being with you again next week, dear friends. And until then, take care, be well. And God bless.